You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey everybody, this is Mark McRae. Before we begin our podcast, I just wanted to talk about the passing of Joe Ruby. Joe Ruby was one of the greats of Saturday morning television, a world builder who started his great career at Hanna-Barbera. And then later, Joe Ruby, along with his writing, producing partner, Ken Spears, they were spun off into their own company and they made a lot more great hits. But just a quick note about Joe Ruby. So Joe, along with Ken Spears, helped keep Saturday morning exciting. After a successful run at Hanna-Barbera, they left that studio and went to DePatty Freeling, where Ruby Spears, together, that team, created Bailey's Comets, which was a sort of wacky races on skates with a Scooby-Doo character design aesthetic. The series was sold to CBS, a first for DePatty Freeling, mainly based on the faith that programming chief Fred Silverman knew that any project that Joe Ruby and Ken Spears were attached to, that show or series or special would be a hit. Later, Fred Silverman would hire Joe Ruby and Ken Spears as part of his in-house development team who were tasked with creating series like Jabberjaw and would pitch other creations to Hanna-Barbera, Filmation, etc. per Fred Silverman's strategy of pitching directly to the studios versus the other way around. When Joe Ruby and Ken Spears created their own company called Ruby Spears, they created such hit series as Plastic Man, as well as Thundar, The Barbarian, which is one of the best series created by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. Joe Ruby will definitely be missed. He was truly one of the great architects of Saturday Morning. His talent, his creativity will definitely be missed. And I just want to take my hat off to Joe Ruby. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McCray. ABC. Easy as podcasting. Oh, baby, one, two, three, Mark and me podcasting best Saturdays of our lives. <laughs> yes, that was Dan Clink singing the signature Jackson 5 ABC song that I tried to chime in, but he changed the lyrics on me. So. Oh, change up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should, we should have had a we should, we should have had a jam session on that prior. I, uh, I, I apologize. Mark is right in front of me. We were broadcasting live from Studio D today because yeah. we forgot to uh, record the 70s six <laughs> months ago somehow. So every episode you hear after this was recorded like six months ago. But this is uh, this is coming at you like, I don't know, a week and a half ago. Yeah. Anyway, Mark, the Jackson 5, what do we got? In the last episode, we were talking about uh, live action established properties going to animation. And we got to 1972 talking about the battle of the... Saturday Superstar movie over on ABC versus the new Scooby-Doo movies over on CBS. Right. Uh, we sort of forgot to mention that before this trend started with primetime television 
characters like uh, Marlo Thomas from That Girl or Sandy Duncan uh, that had a CBS sitcom coming to Saturday morning, there was also the Jackson 5 cartoon that premiered in 1971. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was produced by Rankin Bass. and um, Which is awesome. We love Rankin Bass. Yeah, Rankin Bass is like one of the, the really great animation studios and right. the uh jackson five were too busy they were on the road to record their own voices and so they hired actors to record the sound like marlon tito jackie michael jermaine and jermaine yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what i was forgetting but but they did make themselves available for promotion headshots they they helped they they found the time to market the show right exactly so even in the Jackson Five open those live action images of the real Jackson Five you see where they transform into animation images those were actually done at the Rankin Bass Studios right and Diana Ross who shows up in the first episode kind of yeah uh, right 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 detailing the origin story she actually did provide her own voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. for the show another connection you may not have been aware of you know people were always like hey diana ross and michael jackson are the same person <laughs> you, no no for real people everybody under the age of 40 mm -hmm. 30 uh, that was a real thing that conspiracy that diana ross michael jackson were the same person go watch the whiz and at some angles you know here you go An another element in that uh oh, but i digress <laughs> i digress and uh, something I also found out recently, a veteran director, a guy named Robert Bolzer, one of the animation directors for the Jackson 5, who also worked on the Yellow Submarine. Yeah, um, no kidding. That, yeah, that, yeah that, that tripped me out. Yeah. I it thought, makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Most of the animation, I would say all of the animation was done in the UK. And uh, uh, Mr. Bolzer was one of the animation directors in charge, and he would farm out to work. And a lot of the really cool images from the music sequences when the Jackson 5s were singing, he directed and it looked really far out and funky. And you didn't see a lot of those type of images on an animated uh, Saturday morning series before. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And everybody, we're going to be going to the Jackson 5 well so many times uh, throughout the life of this podcast. You know how like in Superman, specifically I want to cite like Superman 2. Uh, with the three bad guys that were in the Phantom Zone, they were right. like they were stuck in that uh, like Fleetwood Mac album cover. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I know exactly what you space. mean. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the the Jackson Five have that. They're evil, blindingly white, uh, always chasing their tail, and never quite making it. Doppelgangers. They're villains. Uh, the misfits to the Jackson Five's gem, if you right, will. Right. Right. Uh, the Osmond brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Had a feeling you were going there. With the success of the Jackson 5 cartoon premiering the following year, the Osmond brothers premiered on the same network, also done by Rankin Bass. And guess what? They had the time to do their own voices. Oh, no, yeah, no, they definitely provided their own voices. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The open to the cartoon was from their big hit, a shortened version of One Bad Apple. Right. Which, of course, sounded exactly yeah. like a Jackson 5 yep. song. Oh, my gosh. It was just like... Now, don't get me wrong. I love the, the song, but it sounds like a, a Jackson 5 song blatant racial music appropriation <laughs> right you know we we see you we see what you're trying to do here 
Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to make it political. I'm just not a fan of the Osmonds, man. There's something about them. I don't know. I don't know. It's their perfect teeth, man. They've got just their teeth are always just like perfect teeth and perfect hair. Yeah. Oh my I'm god. I'm just really hating is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. Is what it is. Although I admit I did watch the Donnie and Marie show. Um hey, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't, no, don't uh, hate me for that. Dude, Marie, you, you were saying the other night, you Marie kept that was feeding everybody in that family. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, um the Donnie and Marie show was was did really solid ratings for ABC's primetime. And they also made an appearance on the Sonny and Cher show. And there was a joke that I remember from back in the day where they were on Sonny and Cher and they said, Yep, Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie. Four people searching for a last name. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. Um, Anyway, moving along. Moving along. So, the big one in 1973. (laughs) Uh, The Star Trek animated series. Star Trek the animated series. Now, just to remind people, this is live action properties going into animation. And if they're... And oh, dude, yeah. This... Right. The Star Trek animated series was the big one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For so many reasons. Most of the uh, actors voiced themselves in the show. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Star Trek a lot later, but we yeah. just want to mention that... This was like one of the the bigger successes. It of, defines our point, really, mm-hmm, our thesis. Of, this whole idea of live action to animation, right? It's one of the few live action to animation properties that is considered a continuation of the original series. A lot of the Star Trek fans were not on board with this cartoon when it first came out, and this is according to Lou Scheimer's book. Uh, Lou Scheimer produced the animated series. He was the president of Filmation along with Norm Prescott. And Hal Sutherland, they were the three founders. According to his book, people said all kind of crazy things to Lou during San Diego Comic-Con in 1973. And they showed a clip of the cartoon. And supposedly, the folks went crazy. They loved it. Exactly. And they knew that their Star Trek was back. Right. You know, I, uh, for myself, consider much of the animated series to represent the best of the original series. Yes. It's uh, the fourth and fifth year of the five-year Five-year journey, yeah. And we talked about this a little bit during um, the panel that I did on Star Trek the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. Dude, um, Mark has an entire panel on this, everybody. (laughs) You hit him up at a convention, and if he's feeling you, maybe you'll see on on that schedule. Right. Mark's Star Trek the Animated Series panel. The animated series, in my mind, is really is step one towards what became Star Trek, the motion picture. I'm laying that down there. When we do our uh, animated track episodes, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and fight and fight you all on that. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. <laughs> Get your so, pens and papers ready, everybody. Right. Uh, uh, it's coming to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast very soon. That's right. And speaking of Star Trek, the same year, uh, the same studio produced a animation adaptation of My Favorite Martian, which was about a Martian that gets stranded on Earth is taken in by a family and he's trying to figure out how to get back to right. Mars. So they did an animated version of it. It featured Jonathan Harris, who uh, was the actor that played Dr. Smith on Lost in Space. It was a pretty good adaptation. 
The interesting thing was that series got $100,000 per episode on a rival network, whereas Star Trek cartoon produced the same year got like sixty-five to 75000 per episode. And this is one of the things I like to bring up is that sometimes the budgets weren't always fair or equal. Oh, yeah, right. And sometimes, which, which, which one wins the Emmy? Right. Hmm. You know? Very good point. Fair so point. what's... Uh, right. It just, t- you know, there's no God in Hollywood, everybody. If you're looking for Jesus, don't go to Hollywood. That's for sure. It just sort of drives the point that it's about content. Winning exactly. content will win every time. Great content will win every time. So it doesn't necessarily have to matter that one cartoon has a better budget than another cartoon. It's all about story and content. And if the story and content is great, that show will always be a winner or a contender. Right, right. Uh, you also had the case of a Genie cartoon yeah. that also premiered on the same year, Burr same Eden. network. Reading, she uh, they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. If I could have gotten a hold of the Hollywood Trader, a Hollywood Reporter at ten years old, I would have been reading it. But right. I had the next best thing. I had the New York Daily News, which had an, a really great TV section. And in that TV section, there was an article that announced that Barbara Eden was going to reprise her role as the teenage genie in the animated right. series. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't tied to the project anymore and there wasn't any more talk no about it given so i went to wikipedia <laughs> yeah i mean what else, what, what else can you do and if, cool- if you can't find the actual like truth of the reality then go to what is what is, what is democratically being decided was the reality right and according to wikipedia because hannah barbera spent a ton of money paying their celebrities to voice animation versions of themselves on the new Scooby-Doo movies, there right. wasn't much of a budget to pay Barbara Eden to do Genie. To do Genie. Right. Now that's 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 the rumor mill. That that is the rumor mill. And I will tell you why I think it's uh, a rumor. Because again, budgets are set. Hundred thousand dollars an episode or seventy five thousand an episode and it's set per season. So why would a show that was done in 1972 that went supposedly over budget, that was something that didn't happen on Saturday morning. No, right, right. (laughs) Over budget, like, okay, well, that's Mm. your problem. That's what the network would tell the studio. You went over budget, it's your issue. Right. I think that maybe there wasn't enough in the budget to pay Barbara Eden. As in, whatever they thought Barbara Eden would take, Barbara Eden, she ain't taking. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. That's, that's what you're thinking. Right. Yeah. She'll so, pass. Right, exactly. Pass. And she did pass. What's this whole, like, Mark Hamill? Uh, oh, yeah. Playing Corey? So he played... becomes Co- Jeannie's master? Right. So How long would Mark it, Hamill have been? So in this version of Jeannie, you know, she's a Are teen- you saying Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill? Yeah, Dan, it was that freaking Mark Hamill, that guy. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did the math in my head. I, I'm, I'm wrong. I was dumb. So Luke Skywalker played Corey, who became Genie's master, even though the Genie show never happened, but they do show up. Right. In Scooby-Doo, the Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the second year of the new Scooby-Doo movies, uh, the 73-74 season, Instead of using a lot of established uh, celebrities, it was crossovers with 
the new Genie cartoon, and which is a really good episode, by the way. There were crossovers with Speed Buggy and Josie and the Pussycats. And, of course, the Harlem Globetrotters also made it there. Oh, yeah, no, Harlem Globetrotters, they were like, uh, they were always on call. Like, if you're you're a late-night talk show host, you always have that one B-seedless celebrity that's always like... uh, there was this show Gary Shanley used to do where he played a late night talk show host. And oh, I remember Jim, and, that. And Jimmy Walker had like his own permanent tiny little green room. <laughs> I didn't know that. Jimmy Walker just be wandering the halls because he was their their go to mm-hmm. if their actual guest called out oh, didn't, wow. didn't show up at the last minute. Oh, that's pretty he was, cool. He was their their like emer- you know emergency. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, I like. I, I think I wouldn't mind having a gig like that. No, I mean, you know? I wouldn't mind being Jimmy Walker. I mean, hell, <laughs> you do the math versus what I got going on. So, so here's yeah. the inter- dynamite. Yeah. Well, here's a funny, interesting fact about Jimmy Walker. Uh, my brother uh, Eugene Rodney McRae and Jimmy Walker were in the same fourth grade class. Oh, no kidding. And I actually met Jimmy Walker's mom because. His mom went to our church. Right. And my mom would always tell people after Good Times came out, yeah, Jimmy Walker's mom used to hold you as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually got to meet her. And nice. I mean, you talk about a mother and son looking so much alike. Yeah. Crazy. But Interesting. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, Just like it's crazy that Luke Skywalker uh, did the voice <laughs> of, of Jeannie's master. That, that was not voiced by Barbara Eden, mm-hmm. but uh, showed up on those Scooby-Doo movies. Now, the Scooby-Doo movies, mm-hmm. we got into that last episode. Season two of that, it was less outside celebrities and more inside properties right. that were showing up as guest stars. Correct. Okay. And, you know, maybe because there was a lack of budget. Budget? The weird thing about... Second season renewals for Saturday morning back in those days. When a primetime show is t- typically gets renewed, right, the budget goes up. The actors get paid more money. Everybody gets a raise. But on Saturday morning back in those days, you got a renewal of extra episodes, but not necessarily a, a raise. Or in this case, like, you know what? We don't need Phil Stiller again. <laughs> Where are the Globetrotters at? I know. Speed buggy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So interesting. So, and even with the Globetrotters, it wasn't like the, you know, it was, it was actors. Scantman Crothers. Right. Yeah. Playing Metalock Lemon. So right. 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 It was still a voice actor budget versus a big celebrity voice actor. No, because budget. the, vo- because the, the, the Globetrotters uh, always had, they had, they had basketball to play. They always had a, the, their, their perpetual match against something like, the Tallahassee Generals, right? You know, <laughs> I want to know. Anyway, that's that's that. You know, we'll do a whole episode on the Globetrotters. Right. I, I've got I've got some legitimate Globetrotter questions, and I think that they're uh, on or off the court, animated or not. They they represent the spirit of Saturday morning all day. Oh, for sure, every day. And um, speaking of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids, right. Right, which was a very thinly veiled version of David Cassidy. It was like a David Cassidy, like Walmart brand, or you know, like off brand. Yes, you know, yes. off brand David Cassidy, Butch Cassidy. Hey, everybody, alliteration. 
You know, it's got to work. Right. This is, this is slam dunk. He was slam a he was idea, a singing right? star, yes, and who very much resembled David Cassidy. But even before that, you had uh, Goober and the Ghost Chasers, which was another you know Hanna Barbera mystery show that featured many guest appearances from the Partridge family. But David Cassidy was not one of those featured guests. On Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Okay. He was the only Partridge that didn't show up. But then the following year, um, well, you know what? Actually, that kind of ties into Butch Cassidy. Now that I'm thinking yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, everybody, I skipped ahead. Right, we, right. We have no, 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 no. It's fine. It's perfectly yeah. fine. You know what? Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> let's do this. Start this the loop, deal. dude. Do it. Okay. Do it. Let's see it. <laughs> All right. So Goober and the Ghost Chasers was done in 1973, right. which featured... Uh, guest stars, the Partridge family. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, but it was, it was Danny, Laurie, and the two younger kids. Right. Um, whose names escape me right now. Not that but, Bonaducci fella? Uh, no, Danny Bonaducci, okay. Susan Day, and the two other kids. Um, I can't remember their names right now. But uh, anyway, just featured the, f- the four kids, minus David Cassidy. And maybe because they could not get David Cassidy to be a guest star on Goober and the Ghost Chasers, Hanna-Barbera decided to do their own knockoff Ooh. called Butch Cassidy right. and the Sundance Kids, featuring a likeness of David Cassidy. And um, so I just made that connection now. Boom. Because one of the things that Dan and I have always talked about in this podcast is that Hanna-Barbera has a tendency, if they make a show for ABC or CBS, they'll make a knockoff or something similar for another network. And this is part of their business practice. Why get the property when you can just uh, make your own? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm sure Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids was a huge mega hit. Isn't Michael Bay doing a remake? I mean, <laughs> very in demand, right? It, it, it was, it was uh, still loved and adored by millions, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with your assessment. Um, the opening theme song is like one of the best. Right. Oh, my gosh. I could sing that theme song day in, day out. That's probably one of the only things I like about the series. Oh, and great character designs, too. Right. Um, so you have that. And then in 74, they go full on with the Partridge family in 2200 AD. As in the Partridge family in 2200 AD. Like right. the future Partridge family. Right. Set- it had a Jetsons aesthetic, didn't it? Yes, yes. It, apparently, it was set in the Jetsons uh, timeline. but uh, Like Jabberjaw, just r- like Jabberjaw. Jabberjaw, just like... Uh, uh, there's a Magilla Gorilla episode where they're using Jetson's technology um, in one of the episodes when they kidnap Magilla and take him to this planet. So that Jetson's aesthetic shows up a lot. To hell with this MCU, this whole Marvel thing. I want to see the uh, the Jetson's multiverse play right. out over 25 movies on the big screen. So apparently the Partridge Family 2200 was supposed to be an updated Jetson's series featuring older versions of Elroy and I guess a even o- older version of Judy. Judy was already a teenager, so I guess she would have been in her twenties by now. Like they were actual characters in the Partridge family. They were supposed that was supposed to be the original show. Oh, uh, okay. And then I guess the network didn't want it. And next right. thing you know, hey, why don't we dust off the Partridge family that was on Goober and the Ghost Chasers and put them in the future. Oh, so what you're saying is they were gonna do like a continuation of the Jetsons. 
Right. And it evolved into the Partridge family. Exactly. I tell you, man, Hollywood, yo, don't don't turn your back on him, man. That's and, that's what you and, get. You know, thinking about it, but think about the fact that the Pebbles and Bam Bam reboot brought the Flintstones back sure. into Hanna Barbera making new episodes. So why pursuing not? a Jetsons continuation makes perfect sense. Absolutely. The fact that it ended up mutating into the Partridge family in the uh, uh, in the future, though, you know. That, right. that, that, you know, that, that all came out of the same boardroom. You yeah. Know, the same yeah. meeting. Well, you That's, know, they needed to sell a show. So how did that go? Uh, didn't go too good. Didn't go too good. Yeah. Susan Day bailed into the first, after the first few episodes. First few episodes, yeah. Right. She was like, okay, I'm out. And Shirley Jones, man, she... Uh, she I don't was, think Shirley Jones had anything to do with no, this project She was at an all. actress, man. Right. She, she wasn't... I don't think that she was even... You don't think she was considered or approached? Yeah. Really? I don't know. I don't hmm. I don't know. Well well and and see the thing is there's some backstories that we can only speculate about. Sure. Let's say the year before when they were gonna do Goober and the Ghost Chases, that they did ask Shirley Jones, right. do you want any parts of this? And maybe she said no, or maybe right. she says, you know what, I'm busy doing other projects, or I don't want to tie myself to a Saturday morning cartoon because there was a sort of snobbery. Oh no, I mean absolutely, there was snobbery between film and television, then television and card, you know, right, live versus cartoon, absolutely, exactly. Absolutely. You know, Paul Lynn, he is the hooded claw on the perils of Penelope Pitstop, right. but his name is not even in the credits. Right. Because apparently he didn't want, he didn't want people to know that he was... He was slumming it. S- slumming it. The fact that he was slumming it. Right, right. He exactly. wanted the money. He didn't want... He wanted the record. But, I mean, damn. Hey, cool. I've done things I'm not proud of. I'm not, you know... I, I feel you. I oh, feel you really? <laughs> I guess that's for another podcast. Huh? No, that's for Thunder Talk. Everybody go check that out. Yeah, right. right. A, a complete ass of myself. Right, right. So if you want to find out all the crazy things that uh, Dan can talk about on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, check out our other podcast, uh, Thunder Talk, where you can get uh, Dan Clink semi-uncensored. Uh, yeah, Dan, Dan, yeah, that's the 11 o'clock show. It, uh, it, it gets a little blue. <laughs> You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. There's some other entries, um, live action, established properties, influences like These Are the Days, which was, was, a, was the Waltons, was the inspiration. Yeah, what a great and, idea. What an and, interesting idea. Yeah. And Devlin, which was... Evil yeah, Knievel. Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel. For, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But then also in 1974, I'll we get to... Back, I just can't stop talking about it. Right. The Harlem Globetrotters popcorn machine. Now... 
technically... That was the name of the show. That was the name that of the show. That was the title. This right. is a new Harlem Globetrotter show. Mm-hmm. The Harlem Globetrotters Popcorn <laughs> Machine. Right. And so this is the second entry on Saturday morning for the Harlem Globetrotters. The first being yeah. the 1970 series that uh, we talked about earlier in the last episode. It's technically not a live action established property going into animation, but we'd like to thank uh, one of our listeners, Jeff Grant, for asking Dan and I to uh, bring up the topic. Uh, Thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thanks for keeping us honest. Right. Keeping us on our toes. There are some things in this series that was kind of interesting that we can definitely talk about. It was live action. And so you had the real Globetrotters hosting a variety show. And there was a kid named Rodney Allen Rippey. He was sort of the it kid back in the 70s. He had made some Jack in the Box commercials. Showed up on the $6 million man. Right. With Lee Majors. Yeah. And uh, so this was like his first series, uh, co-starring with the Harlem Globetrotters. Right. And Dan and I were talking about this earlier. You had mentioned something about It was almost like having Rodney Allen Rippey there was sort of like seeing things through. Yeah, his his narrative function was to be the eyes into that world of the audience. We he's the portal, if you will. He is where you know I I as a child move through him, see through him, as he is uh, as the magical world of the Globetrotters is is laid before him, laid before us. Right. Yeah. He is us. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was an interesting idea. The show lasted a season. I guess the conclusion was that kids preferred to see their Globetrotters animated. Yeah, what a shame, dude. I went to I've I've been I've seen the Globetrotters live and I've seen them animated and mm-hmm. live is much better. Uh <laughs> yeah, I mean there is something magical about it. Mm-hmm. The Oddball Couple. Oh, right. Based on The Odd Couple. Based on the uh, based on uh, Neil Simon, that The Odd Couple, R2-D2, C-3PO, uh, <laughs> Perfect Strangers. Uh, if you want to go some 80s sitcoms. Yeah, The Odd Couple, that's a formula that, that for decades uh, was, uh, well, it worked. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. The cartoon wasn't as successful. Oscar was a dog this time and Felix was a cat. Right. And that is an odd couple sharing an apartment because Oscar the dog is sloppy and Felix wants everything. Right. Felix is a neat freak. You was know? it Felix the cat? Felix the cat? Like magic bag <laughs> Felix the cat? Yeah. It was? Well, yeah, he was a real cat and Oscar was a dog. No, so, no, I mean, oh. but you know, you know, Felix the cat. Yeah. What about Felix? Like the actual, the property, the, the character Felix the cat. Right. He no, it wasn't that cat. It wasn't that cat. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the in the an original odd couple, the characters are named Oscar and Felix. No, of course they are. Here I am. It's, I could tell you who wrote it, but I'm not remembering. Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon. Right. And yeah. then in the TV version, it was, uh, it was Jack uh, Klugman and... And the Pringles. You saw right. Pring- um, uh, oh, um, Rand- oh. Uh, oh, Randall. Tony Randall. Tony Randall. Tony Randall. Yes. Tony Randall. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I never made a connection before, but I guess they got away with it because the show was not called Felix the Cat. It was called The Oddball Couple. The and Oddball this cat couple. just happened to be named Felix, like the Felix the Cat that showed up in animated cartoons yeah, yeah, yeah. way right. back when. Well, I'm just wondering if they, if Neil Simon got a paycheck for this, though. Because, see, I mean, there's all kinds of legal, potential legal uh, <laughs> landmines to walk through with something like that. Right. And so we get to 1977, and there's this show called The Skatebirds. Featuring the Robotic Stooges. Uh, here's the thing. 
I had to look this up a couple of times. They are the Robonic Stooges. Robonic. Yeah. I thought they were robotic too. Well, because that's what makes sense, you know, in terms of making a connection between your ear, your brain, and your tongue. Well. Robotic is a word. Robonic is bionics like six million dollar man oh, well, okay no you're right i shouldn't i should actually appreciate that um, i should appreciate that you're and right. so the skateboards were sort of a remake of the banana splits where you had these giant birds who were hosting an hour program right. that featured different cartoons and the Robonic Stooges was one of the cartoons. Well, then let's uh, everybody, uh, you can either Google the Skatebirds or wait for Mark and I to do our Sid and Marty Croft and Sid and Marty Croft-like series of episodes. <laughs> I just want to jump right into these Robonic Stooges. It was based on the real life Three Stooges. And the series was produced by Hanna-Barbera and a gentleman named Norman Marr. Yeah. So Norman had been associated with the Three Stooges for a long time. He was the one that kept their career going. He was their agent, but he was also a producer. Created the Wonder Twins. Right. Created the Wonder Twins. That's one of the cool things about this dude. And kept the Three Stooges relevant and started a partnership with Hanna-Barbera that goes back to the new Scooby-Doo movies where the Three Stooges showed up like in one of the early episodes. And as Dan said, he created the Wonder Twins for the all-new Super Friends Hour that uh, showed up in 77. Well, his kids, uh, Jeffrey Scott and Mike Marr, uh, right. Michael Marr, mm-hmm. uh, went on to become writers in uh, their own right, uh, with Scott doing Dungeons & Dragons, Pac-Man, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, uh, watch, listen to Thunder Talk, we talked a lot about that. Oh, and DuckTales, Sonic the Hedgehog, and then Michael Marr, uh, Saturday Starcade, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Gummy Bears, video, Kid Video, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, everybody. So this was this Mar guy. We're talking like a little dynasty going on here. Oh, yeah. On Saturday morning. Oh, my gosh, yeah. A generational thing. A lot of yeah, talent happening. For sure. But it would be the Robotic Stooges. It would be their last hurrah. Well, at least Saturday morning anyway, I would say. Right, in terms of um, Stooges. Uh, right. Yeah. And the Skatebirds itself the show was was not the exactly the biggest ratings winner. All right, so <laughs> so we talked about the popcorn machine earlier, Dan, right. and uh, <laughs> so like I said, the assessment was that uh, kids don't want to see their globetrotters in live action situations, right? And so, what does Hanna Barbera do? They pull out all the stops, yep. and they create the super the globe, super globetrotters these yeah. guys are like they're part magic part robots mm-hmm. part uh part i think mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie uh but i think if the bionic or robonic stooges didn't happen i think maybe the super globetrotters might not have happened either right exactly I think, uh i think someone was looking at someone else's work mm-hmm. possibly but some of the powers that these new globetrotters have have been seen before on another Hanna-Barbera series called The Impossibles. Oh, uh, 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 okay. okay. Okay, so The Impossibles were Beatles-like rock stars right? who were turning into superheroes. So then, okay, okay, so how about uh, The Impossibles as inspiration, The Stooges as in looking at trends and numbers? Right. Take both those together, you've got the... Uh, you not only do you get the Super Globe Trotters, but me wildly speculating on a subject that I'm way out of my depth on. <laughs> 
Well, you know, again, going back to Hanna-Barbera strategy, using past successes right. to create new successes. Right. You know, so the original series uh, that featured the Impossibles was called Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles. Right. And what was the joke about the Impossibles was that they were a rock band called the Impossibles, right. but then they would turn into a superhero team called oh, the yeah, Impossibles. Yeah, yeah. Right. And nobody... Right on the show realized that they were the same. Right. And there right. are some episodes where this change actually took place, it seemed like right in front of people and folks right. still didn't get it. Didn't didn't make the connection. So right. so they were operating under those same rules, if mm -hmm. you will, in the world of the Super Globe Trials. Right, exactly. Okay. Because okay. they still managed to get a basketball game in. Oh yeah. No, I mean <laughs> no. again, dude, the Tallahassee generals aren't gonna <laughs> aren't gonna play themselves. <laughs> but uh let's talk about quickly the the superhero names uh so there was super 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 sphere uh, yeah. who had a head like a real basketball and could retract his limbs and grow his head to whatever uh freaky whatever yeah. freaky size he wanted to yes or whatever was necessary for the job per the job episode. yeah whatever shape his basketball head needed to be so that was another hanna-barbera trope too hanna-barbera superheroes seem to gain new powers per the storyline or whatever is needed superman was like that forever <laughs> i know yeah and they almost had to sort of depower superman because he used to you know, turn tiny uh he used to be able to like like shrink himself. Oh, I never heard that. Oh really? yeah, no, there's one where he shrinks himself. Last week, oh, but yeah, that's a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, I know he had um super uh super I was reading in a Lois Lane book, he sent a letter from Metropolis to wherever Lois Lane was, and he used super navigation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. And right. super uh anyway, I don't want that's going down a dark hole. That's, but anyway, that's, yeah, yeah. That's right. for another episode. Right. Silly Superman power. But hey, sh shout out to the post office, though, because yeah. you know, sending mail right now is in peril, and I think we all need to keep an eye on I our know. government to make maybe sure we, that... Maybe we all need super navigation to no, send out letters. Yeah, please, super navigation help. If we ever needed a Superman, so we, US mail. So we talked about Super sp Spare, which was super weird. Spare. Uh -oh. Yeah. Yeah. Who Come on in. Adam. Hey, what's up, Adam? How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thunder Talk. Ring of Thunder, best wrestling podcast in the world. I'm inclined to leave that in the show. All right. So there was uh, Spaghetti Man. Spaghetti Man. Who could shapeshift his body into a rope or ladder. Handy. Handy. Mm -hmm. Gizmo, not to be confused with the the Teen Titans Go villain with the same name. Or, or, or the Mogwai from Gremlins. Right. Uh, so this guy had the most interesting powers to me. He could, he had a huge Afro and he used his Afro like Batman uses his utility belt and will pull out crime fighting gadgets uh, again, whenever necessary or right. whatever suited the situation. Like he can manifest it from his, from his fro. Right. Yeah. So I was watching Pam Grant, Foxy Brown the other day, which mm -hmm. is like one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. my gosh. Pam Grant is so great in that movie. And, um, and to me, Anyway, when I grow up, I want to marry Pam Greer. Yeah, and, and I really did, you know. But anyway, uh, things didn't work out that way. But no, um, for neither of us, friends. <laughs> but what was really cool. There is a scene in the movie where she pulls out a very small gun out of her afro. 
and starts to shoot the bad guys with it. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it was like a small Dillinger that she had sure. in there. Yeah, right. And when I think about that scene in Foxy Brown and think about Gizmo, it, I, oh, I, I, it kind of okay. makes me wonder, hmm, <laughs> right. did that scene in Foxy Brown right. inspire right. the Gizmo superhero hey, character? Man, you know, ideas begat ideas. Mm-hmm. And then there was... Um, multi-man who can clone versions of himself and there's a uh one of the superheroes from the impossibles was also named multi-man right and there's one guy skip liquid man who can turn himself into water and he was similar to fluid man from the impossible series right and so two superheroes from the impossibles they pretty much just boosted right 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 took you know Hanna Barbera is like you know what these two characters were great characters right. let's put them in the super globe hey, trotters you know if Hanna Barbera could do it itself why get the license and if Hanna Barbera could do Hanna Barbera right <laughs> even cheaper right <laughs> the next evolutionary leap in the Thunderverse has arrived the Ring of Thunder is a whole week's wrestling in a half hour what the Ring of Thunder is a whole week's wrestling in a half hour what, what? every show what what what, what? what? You come up around here wetting in sexy Thor's yard like he's anything but the hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, marking out but never tapping out Lord of Thunder. Like you would do anything but sit down, open your ears, and take in the Ring of Thunder wherever you find your podcast like you would find any other podcast in the Thunderverse or the ESO Network. Hey everyone, this is Carrie the Metal Geek, and I would like to invite you to hang out with myself and my fellow Metal Geeks as we have all kinds of discussions about heavy metal, films and TV shows, video games, theme parks, comic books, and whatever else is tickling our geeks. Please visit our website at MetalGeeksPodcast.com and follow us on all the social medias, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MetalGeeks. We are also proud members of ESO Network, so you can check everything out at ESONetwork.com. Keep it metal, keep it geeky, stay safe, and see you on the next episode. Thanks for driving up here, Mark. Yeah, it's fun. Hey, uh, Adam, we have Sexy Thor from uh, Ring of Thunder and Thunder Talk. I want to say hi to uh, the good Saturday people. Hey, all you good Saturday people. <laughs> all right, well, hey, you know, join us next time for live action to animation part uh, three. No, it would be part it'd be, three. It'd be, no, it'd be part four. Part four. Unless we chop this up, then yeah. it'd be part five, and that would make this like a seven. Anyway, well, everybody. Let's just say in, in the next installment. Yeah, keep listening to the show. We love you, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just want you to love us. So this is Mark McRae. Uh, and Dan Clink. See you in TV land, as they used to say back in the day. That's right. <laughs> but you're listening, <laughs> not watching. <laughs> yeah, see, we'll, we'll, we'll see you with our ears. I mean, that's podcasting, right? Right. In general, TV land, not the TV land, the channel. Right. Oh, yeah, no, no, thank you. Like, like that's see, that's that's legal right, right there. Yeah, we got to make that distinction because yeah, none of us right. are trying to get sued. Exactly. <laughs> the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives This is Mark McRae signing off.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.